Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. Like ukuleles, but not sharks. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. Today on the podcast, we're talking to Michelle Parker, a pro skier who is a whole lot more than just a skier. As you'll hear, Michelle is a passionate climber and biker and avalanche awareness advocate and burgeoning musician, and she's a member of a quote-unquote pretend band that, come to think of it, has got to be one of the greatest skiing bands of all time. Note to self, we need to come up with a ranking of this actually, the best skiing bands ever. Sorry. Anyway, um, I caught up with Michelle as she was between trips, though it seems that Michelle is always between trips. She and I talk about what she's up to now, her recent joining of the Arcteryx team, and her journey from ski racing to slope style and half pipe competitor to big mountain skier. We also talk gear for a bit, especially women's skis and women's ski boots, then talk about the good work of Safe As Clinics, the organization that Michelle is a part of that's tailored to women and designed to increase avalanche safety and awareness. But again, it turns out that Michelle is a person of many passions and interests, and we touch on a number of them. We also talk about some of our greatest fears, which include trying to keep up with Greg Hill on a skin track, mountain lions, and how they are also one of Michelle's greatest motivating factors, and then I admit to some really embarrassing stuff about sharks. Anyway, Michelle's energy is pretty infectious, so if you want to be inspired to keep getting after it, to push yourself to continue to grow, and to constantly explore new paths, you're likely going to love this conversation. And so with that, here is Michelle Parker. So where are you this morning? I'm at my house in Lake Tahoe. Okay. Uh, recently back from somewhere or have you or or about to I'm I'm unclear on whether you just got back or whether you're just heading out or both <laughs> a little bit of both um <laughs> that's pretty much the story of my life I'm always <laughs> getting here and leaving soon <laughs> um yeah I just returned actually from a trip down to the east side of the Sierra Nevada and I'm heading out today driving up to um Oregon and then Washington in search of volcanoes and single track <laughs> nice um, who's that mission with? Well, I tend to do this thing where I just go and <laughs> people along the way, but, uh, in particular, Justin Sweeney, Sweeney, who, you know, he kind of just came up with this idea to have a really fun weekend of climbing volcanoes and put the feelers out there to the entire Arcteryx team just as a fun trip, like no work obligation, but Hey, do you guys want to come? And pretty much everyone replied that they wanted in. So um, it'll be a really fun trip and for me a chance to get to know the entire Arcteryx team and um, ski with them and be out there with them. And then I'll head up to the sales meeting in Vancouver. And then on my way back down, I think I'm going to try to link back up with Greg Hill and do Shasta at least and maybe some other ones in Oregon. And I'm going to bring my road bike and and mountain bike. And on my way up there, I'm going to do a little bike riding in Bend, Oregon. I've got some friends up there. So yeah, it'll be fun. Excellent. And yeah, that's a lot. Um, we just got back from Bend, actually. Uh, uh, yeah, it was really fun. I was actually, um, the last podcast we did actually was at uh, Sage's house um, out there, nice. and uh, which is next to an alpaca farm, which, I mean, it's cool to go visit and hang out with Sage, but like when you add in the alpaca farm 
element to it, I mean, it really is just kind of next level. So, uh, yeah, worth that's... worth a worth a trip. <laughs> so rad! I like alpaca. <laughs> um, and it also, uh, we didn't get to do it this trip, but we might be circling back out. But um, Shasta, by all accounts, is just prime right now, um, which I'm sure you've been paying some attention to. But um, so I'm envious uh, of your itinerary. Yeah, um, it's the season to be skiing. It's the season to be skiing. You talked about uh, joining up, meeting up with the Arcteryx team, and and this is a new uh, partnership of yours, correct? The Ar- yeah. Arcteryx. Talk talk to me a little bit about that. How did that come together? Um. Well, so I Mountain Hardware came. They pulled out of free skiing entirely, mm-hmm. and that was my last outerwear sponsor. And I really liked having that technical gear, that gear that like for me in the mountains really makes a huge difference. And so it was about a year ago or like over a year ago, it was last January, not this season, but the season before in 2016 when they did that. And since then I was like, okay, whatever, I can just ride on whatever outerwear I want and um, test a few things out and kind of support companies maybe that are local and stuff. So I did that for a year and was, it was searching, but not super hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very particular about my next sponsor because for me, these relationships, I want them to have longevity and that just like makes more sense for me. Um, I don't like switching around. And so I was pretty particular with the outerwear one in particular. Mm-hmm. I said particular about 10 times, but um, <laughs> it's good. It, it shows exactly how particular you are. So I think it's, it's appropriate. Well, it's an important thing, you know, it's yeah. a real bummer when your gear is failing you and you're climbing a mountain or whatever it is. So, um, I, you know, I reached out to a few different companies and one of my close friends and amazing photographer, Robin O'Neill was like, Hey, we've got to talk to Arcteryx. And she just sent the feelers out there and they responded really positively. And I was like, no way that would be the ultimate dream company. Like they, to me make the best gear. And, um, yeah, so they were psyched, and we started the conversation this year. And midway through the season, basically, they flew me up to Vancouver to meet the team, and we all clicked and had a really good time. And they're like, "All right, you're on." And I was just floored. I'm like so psyched because I really do believe highly in the quality of the gear in what they're doing. They have a factory in Canada, um, so like, really, if I need any alterations, it can be done there. The the designers themselves sew, which is really cool. It's kind of this lost art. Um, and they're actually like even training people to sew to work at their factory in Canada and um, trying to produce goods here at home. So that's that's really important to me as well. And their ethics and their vision and just I felt like we aligned really well together. Hmm. That's cool. Um, so I imagine that's been pretty interesting for you to sort of walk into that and start to see like, OK, um, you know, kind of get behind the curtain, I guess. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting. I went up there for all of three days really for this onboarding and I kind of got quick and dirty, but I did get to go to their factory and that was a really cool experience. Like I've never been to a factory and watched something like their harness get made from the start to finish and, and seeing like that whole process and their vision of the factory and how they want to grow it and, and their future plans and how efficient they can be. And that was really, it was quite cool to me to see that and to be exposed to that because I want to know where my stuff is made and I want to know, you know, I want to be able to work with a company that I'm like, Ooh, could we change the size of this pocket or like this zipper location or whatever it may be and have them do it. Boom, right on the spot. That's pretty unheard of. 
Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've worked with a lot of companies. And I've never been able to give that kind of feedback and have that turnaround. And I think that that is the potential with them. And I also think that they just really care about making good gear. Like everyone who I've ran into there, like we went skiing one night at Mount Seymour and then we went up to Whistler and went touring with like a ton of the people from the office and they're all just really ingrained in the culture and they all do these things. Like Justin is an amazing climber. He's an amazing snowboarder, um, all around just really cool athlete. And I think their vision for how they, um, you know, use their athletes and activate their athletes is also super inspiring and, and useful for both, both ends. Hmm. Um, I'm going to blame you for dragging us down the gear path. Usually that's <laughs> <laughs> usually I'm that I'm the one that does that. But so I, is that okay? Could I make this your fault? But, um, uh, um, well, that's, I guess that's, I, I'm always kind of interested in that. I mean, when, when I'm talking to, a high level athlete. Um, I've really like in my life the, the the different folks I've met, the different people I've, you know, skied with or whatever, I, I do feel like there's kind of <clears throat> there's two camps, right? One is kind of the camp that really does obsess and fixate over their gear. And then I know a lot of super high level people that don't really care. Like ultimately it's like give me a decent jacket, give me a decent pair of boots, give me whatever ski. Frankly, I'm good at this. I'm going to go make it work. Right. And like, let's just go have a good time or, you know what I mean? And, uh, I, I think I tend to naturally fall into more of the fixation obsession camp about gear, but I'm, I, I think it's interesting. Those that kind of just use gear more, it's like, it's just a tool and now I'm out and I'm really not too worried about it. So I don't think one camp is right or wrong, but I am curious, and I mean, you've started maybe to answer this question already, but I was curious to say like, okay, honestly, which of those camps sounds closer to where you're living? Um, You know, I, I wouldn't compare myself to like the Eric Hurlifsons of the world. And uh-huh. I've been on a lot of trips with him where he literally is staying up well into the night fixing your gear like other people's and his gear and he's like he just wants to make it the best so that it's not failing so that we can all succeed and have fun and um that's super cool to me and through him i've been more intrigued by this kind of stuff but i'm just not like the most handy person at like mounting a pair of bindings and taking out this little piece of the binding because you don't need it and it lightens it up or whatever that is but to be honest, like Hoji has set up my bindings for the last couple of years for touring. And I'm like, okay, I know they're super dialed because Hoji did this. Um, and then for me, like, yeah, that kind of made me realize that there's just ways to be in the mountains and make things easier and comfortable on yourself. You know, whether that's glacier camping, if you have the right equipment and you want to be warm, like you just got to stay on top of it. And so I have become more and more uh, interested in it and sometimes like obsessive for sure and figuring out the small little details and and especially when you start doing things where you're really exposed and if one part of your equipment is failing, it could be the difference of you succeeding or failing and and that is when, like I, I just recently was on a trip and I totally had the wrong toe bail on my crampon. We are in this really exposed ice chute and um, we were in Alaska, so there's a lack of snow. And this the chute was basically had like two to four inches of snow on top of black ice, like this alpine ice. And I've never seen anything like it, nor have I like tried to ski it or climb it. And about midway up, my crampon started failing. And so here I am learning how to ice climb with no ropes and skis on my back. 
going up this super exposed 54 degree slope with like one crampon that's functioning properly and borderline going to break. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this was a moment for me where I was like, that is really important to have the proper gear. And, um, I was kind of naive going into that trip. I didn't think I'd be doing that. Um, cause why would you expect that? I guess. But all of a sudden it was like, Whoa, this is really real. And my crampons failing me and I need to figure that out. Yep. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, I'd go with your camp. I'm into that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, can we talk skis for just a second? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, one or two pairs of skis have you spent the most time on say just this past season or in the past couple months? Um, this past season in particular, I've been really in the past two years, actually, I've been really psyched on the Atris birdie. Yeah. Yep. By back black crows. Um, those skis are like, if I had one ski and a quiver that I would, and I could only choose one, that would be the ski for sure. It's an incredible ski. That's interesting. We've been, um, just in, I guess in the last two seasons, um, reviewing more and more Black Crows skis. And I know that I knew that you'd been on Black Crows. Um, and, um, we've had a number of our other reviewers, uh, doing some of those Black Crows reviews, but the, but the, I've, I've been saying Atris. Should I be saying Atris? No, I think you're right. It's okay. Atris. Okay. I don't know. We're let's, yeah. Uh, but I did review that ski, um, and so got to spend a number of days on the, not the birdie, but the, just the regular atris, but super fun ski, um, for sure. So that, uh, it's interesting to hear that that's one that you clicked with. Um, did you, did you kind of immediately find that ski or get on it? Or did you kind of, have you worked your way through a few of their models or did you just get on that one and think, yep, I'm comfortable um, I've skied on a lot of their model, models, and for me, that's their women-specific ski, their women-specific powder ski. So, of course, every time you you, know, you get on a company and they want to market you on that specific ski, and so that's the one they send you. And then, um, you know, when I initially got on with Black Crows, they sent me an, an entire array of different skis to try out to try to figure the ones that I wanted. And so I skied a lot on the um, – what is it? I guess it would be the – well, I've skied on the Nocta, which yeah. is a really fun, playful ski, um, but it's pretty wide yeah. and it's like very much specific to whatever type of conditions you would ski a wide, like big, playful ski on. And the Anima, um, which were both bigger skis, like the Anima I ended up really liking in Alaska when I was skiing like fast, big lines. I felt like that ski charged really well and through any sort of chop, it was just solid. Um, so it was like a reliable ski to take through different conditions on a fast run when you're filming. And then I skied, yeah, obviously the Atris birdie and that ski in particular, I just feel like does it right in like all different types of conditions. It's really predictable. It's super fun. Mm-hmm. It's the right size for me and length, like a 178 is pretty good. Um, and it's not the widest ski and I've actually, kind of um, toned that back. I used to ski a much wider ski, but uh, I really, that ski, if I had a one ski quiver, it would, I would definitely choose that one. I recommend it to everyone. And a lot of females ask me for my opinion. And it's tricky because like in the past with I've, when I've worked with different companies, I really haven't connected with their women's skis. Like I have not been able to ride them fast and charge and like enjoy them. It's been a struggle, but this was the first time that I got on a female specific powder ski that I felt like it held its own. And, and to be honest, like 
that's pretty much the only ski that I skied this year. I have a touring setup on it and a downhill setup on it. And I just love that ski. That's cool. Um, <clears throat> that was funny. It's yeah. We, um, in my review of just the, of the regular Atris, I was just shocked. Uh, and I talk about this a lot, like shocked at how well that thing worked in like really deep snow. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm, this is not. And frankly, it was, it was two days where there was like a, a surprise storm. And it was one of the only skis I had brought up for a weekend. Uh, and so ended up in like two to three feet of pow on that Atris. And I was pretty ticked. I was like, I should be on a fatter ski, should be reviewing a fatter ski in that time, and then proceeded to do two days on that Atris, where it was like, this is providing a ton of float and is super fun in this. Um, and so that, yeah, that kind of became, that and the, like, the tails of that, that ski are just poppy as hell. As like, this yeah. thing is spring-loaded in the back, and it floats like way above its 108 millimeter width. Um, yep. th those are kind of my two takeaways. Yeah, totally. Well, you're probably analyzing these skis almost more than I am sometimes, but I just, I love that ski. It is so fun. You talk about, right, I'm, I'm sure you're getting hit up, um, you know, by folks for ski recommendations all the time. And, you know, I, I talked to Angel Collinson about this, the kind of the women's specific issue. Um, and I just think that is such a like tricky issue, you know? Um, and I'm not sure, you know, an angel, angel said something similar, uh, to you, right? Like that it, in the past, um, that it, women's specific equipment hadn't really resonated. And in a way, right. I, I think it just kind of makes sense if the idea is, um, we're lightening, lightening up some of these skis or whatever, but what happens when you're going harder and bigger than, 99 point whatever percent of the population men or women right i mean it changes it's it's a it's a different factor um and i don't know i i i'm certain you've thought about this more than i have and clear more clearly than i have but would be curious um you know in a life of skiing how you've come around or where you are on that issue or question with women specific gear yeah Sorry, that was a super inarticulate, super inarticulate question. So I blame, I blame the relatively early hour. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm into it. Whatever. Um, yeah, you're making me use my brain, but I like it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I think with women's specific gear, you know, that's a tricky one for me. And especially with boots, actually. Yep. That is really difficult. I ski on a couple different pairs of boots from different companies because there aren't that many companies that make boots in my size. I have a really small foot. And with that being said, they also like aren't powerful enough for me to really drive into the skis. So I'm very particular about which boots I use and, and therefore I don't have a boot sponsor. I just use whatever I really want to use. Yeah. But um, that's been a struggle for me for years. And finally, I've kind of figured it out and nailed it for like the touring setup and the downhill setup with what works for me. <laughs> but I still constantly am like, oh, my gosh, if this could just come up a little higher on my shin and like be a little bit more stiff, I'd be like really psyched. Mm -hmm. And you don't ever want to sacrifice your downhill experience, especially when you're filming or in high stakes situations. Um, I think that it's important for companies to realize that they're making skis for different types of skiers, not necessarily based on gender. Some women like to ski a women's ski, but in the past when women's skis 
specifically started coming out, I saw a lot of girls shy away from them and be skiing on these like massive men's skis because it was more of an ego thing. And it was interesting to see that because I'm always like, whatever, I want the gear that works the best for me and that's it. Um, and so sometimes, yeah, I'll ski like a men's ski in a certain situation or, you know, fortunately now I've been like, all right, now I've got this women's ski that I really, really love. And I'm super down with promoting, like creating gear for women. And I think there needs to be more of that to some extent, like creating gear for women by women, like women actually doing the work and women designing the jackets and the pants and the skis and stuff. I think that's quite important. Um, I don't think there's enough of that going on, but yeah, it's, I think it's totally rad, but you don't need to just make it softer, lighter and pink. Like there's a lot more that goes into that. And I think that needs to be appreciated. We keep hearing, um, from a number of women, they're like, tell me what ski boot isn't short cuffed and is actually stiff. And so we've just started this, like going to all the different companies, like, what is your best shot at, at, as a solution or, or the answer to that question, right? Um, and so we've got our reviewers in a number of different boots that are kind of, I guess, contenders in the space. Um, but we're hoping to shine a light on that one and, and maybe get, you know, some of these manufacturers thinking like they're, they're, it maybe isn't a massive market, but whoever really comes in and, and nails that, right? The stiff, not super short cuff. If, as that word gets out, that seems like that's going to do uh, very well for somebody. Um, because it's just, this has just become a common refrain I hear all the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it makes sense. I mean, skis, right? It's like, well, there's a bunch of skis out there. And if you don't want to go with a women specific, there's, there's probably a unisex model that'll, that'll end up suiting you. But that boot one is tricky. Yeah, for sure. The boot one is a struggle. It's a struggle. Um, when I, I left a certain company and uh, immediately I was like, oh, I don't have a boot sponsor. And I went out and bought the Scarpa Freedom boot. Mm-hmm. And that boot I used for three years and uh, really, really love the performing performance of that boot. Um, so that's kind of the one that's been the, the answer to that question for me personally. Mm-hmm. However, I totally would still tweak it a little bit and make it a little bit more stiff, but then that becomes like such a niche market, right? Like when you start talking about women who are charging super, super hard, like that, that definitely is a smaller number of, of girls. And, um, but I think it needs to grow and I think it is and we're going to need that equipment and maybe it would grow faster if the equipment would go, grow faster as well. Yeah. Where, where you got to actually be in a boot that wasn't terrifying to hit consequential lines on. Yeah. You know, like that's pretty important. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're like, Hey, why don't you go ski this no fall line, but we're going to put you in like a 90 flex boot. I would just be like, how about I don't ski that line? You know, it's a, it's a great point you make. Like if the equipment's not there, it's kind of, twisted right like no shit people like there we're not seeing we're not seeing maybe as quickly as we might uh women stepping up to certain things because nobody's bothered to give them the right equipment (laughs) that's kind of the the boots man it's so difficult for a small because i have like a really small foot so that's even more tricky like dalbello and scarpa are the two that i've found that like make a good boot in my size what size boot are we talking um i think like a 21.5 yep that's that but sometimes say. I'll even ski a 22.5 because of the 
because I need like a specific boot. Yeah. <clears throat> Which you're like, okay, now my boot, my foot is swimming around in here and I've got to do like hours of boot work to get it to be just right. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think we can stop talking about gear now. <laughs> That's okay. good though. I, that was fun. Um, uh, man, I don't even know how to talk about your background. It's just kind of like, well, you've sort of done everything. And so I don't even know like how to focus on that. I mean, it's mostly, I just, um, I, I really tend to be in awe of athletes like you that are like, well, yeah, I raced. And then I just went and like kind of killed it in, in, uh, in freestyle and park. And then I just moved over to the mountains and it's like, well, shit, you know, um, I guess I'm curious. I mean, it was just your life. I mean, you came up doing these different disciplines. I don't know how, I, I doubt you were, you were never like, well, first I'm going to race and then I'm going to learn how to like get really comfortable throwing tricks. Cause eventually someday that's going to serve me well as I like move into more big mountain stuff. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume it wasn't that sort of a uh, deliberation growing up. Um, no, not at all. It was kind of just the way that, uh, I was raised to be honest, like growing up, I grew up in Squaw Valley. And so I was really fortunate. Our, our school system wasn't geared towards skiers by any means, but in a way it was, and it was kind of ahead of its time in that we had four periods and the last period you could do PE and physical education could be your own physical education. So if I wanted to go skiing, I would take the bus from school. And I remember this at a really young age. And it would drop me off at Squaw Valley and then I would ski for basically like the second half of the day until four o'clock and my parents would come and pick me up. And that was just like standard. And so the programs that I could be in would have been freestyle or racing. Like those were the two options essentially. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, at Squaw, we had a lot of incredible coaches. And so ski racing was just naturally the fit. And I did that until I was about 15 and things started getting more and more serious. And I think I kind of always shied away from regiment and from people telling me what to do, especially with athletics. Like there was a point when I was 15 where I think I was 15 where I, I like really looked up to Mia Hamm. I wanted to be a professional soccer player and I played on all these club teams and I would be like, you know, skiing all day and training. And then my mom would drive me an hour to go to practice soccer practice and I would show up like 10 minutes late but I would give it my all like always tried really hard I loved soccer and I loved skiing and my soccer coach gave me the ultimatum he's like you need to choose between skiing and soccer and I was pretty young like that's a young age to be like man but what if I want to be a professional soccer player but I just didn't have that outlet anymore and because he said that I think I chose to go with skiing and so there I was I was like okay now I'm not really playing soccer anymore and until I went to high school and I started playing on our high school team, but the club team was really like what excelled and these like state teams, like I played for the state teams and stuff like that. Um, but then ski racing became also really regimented. Like they started taking that really seriously. And I kind of was told like, you're not allowed to go to the park and you're not allowed to ski with those boys. And I was like, back it up. Like, <laughs> this is like my passion. How do you take that away? You can't. And ultimately that made me not want to be a ski racer anymore. And, I really like halfway through the year realized that like my parents were like, you know, scraping to put together money to send me to all these competitions and races and stuff. And I just really wasn't into that. I was like, man, I could be spending my parents' money in a much more productive way. So I switched over to this free ride program, which was newly established. There was like not that many people, but it was a way for me to get out of racing and, and use the money. Like they agreed to let me use the money to put towards that. And I pretty much just started skiing on my own and with my friends. And that like quickly became 
way more fun. And so when it wasn't powder, I would go ski in the park. And basically one day this guy, you know, he was chasing me around the mountain and all of a sudden he saw my braid and he was like, whoa, I thought you were a guy and I was going to give you my business card, but then I realized you were a girl. So here's my business card. My name is Jason Leventhal and I started line skis and I was like, no way. And he was like, yeah, I'd love to get you on some skis. And I was already on line skis. Mike Wilson actually had given me this pair of skis and I was like, and Mike actually told me, he was like, oh yeah, Jason Leventhal sent these skis out for you. Cause I told him you were a really good skier. And I was like, oh, Jason, thank you so much for sending these skis through Mike. He gave them to me. And he was like, what? Like he was all confused. <laughs> Mike was just pulling my, you know, pulling my leg. But regardless, that became my first sponsor. And he kind of was like, do you want to start competing? And I was like, I mean, sure. I don't even know how to, like, I was good at rails, but I didn't know how to spin. I went to my first competition was the U.S. Open in Vail, and I saw what the girls were doing, and I think I like learned a 360 that day and was like, okay, I'm into this. And all of a sudden, that path that I went down was how I built my name. But again, I was stuck in that situation where it was like, you're competing against other people. And for me, I just wanted to go out and ski and have a good time, and that was just this natural path for me. And I loved competing in slope style, and I did really well. Like I would place top three pretty much every single competition and then I didn't really do much half pipe but I did compete in x games for half pipe then I had my first injury and, and missed like that was the first alternate because I couldn't qualify for the first x game slope style which was like heartbreaking for me um but then I still competed like on the same course the next week and won the thing I was really motivated you come off injuries just fired up yeah. and uh and then eventually I was like yeah I just want to ski powder and I kind of like got my foot in the door with Scott Gaffney and Matchstick Productions because Scott lived locally in Tahoe. Mm -hmm. And really it became like, oh, okay, I need sponsors that are going to pay for this. And so that was a bit of a struggle for a while, but Gaffney always had my back and would always let me come out with them when they were local and eventually kind of proved to them that like I was ready to film. And I had worked with Poor Boys Productions before and a few other different companies. And and then, you know, going down that path was like my name was established in the ski industry. And I started to just be like, hey, sponsors, this is what I'm doing. And if you want to get behind it, then you can. And if you don't, then that's a shame. But I'm out. Um, I'm going to do this. And kind of had to align myself with sponsors that were like into that. Mm -hmm. And once I got that backing, I mean, your passion, I think if you're a passionate person, the more experience you have, the more you learn about the mountains, I... I I, I continuously say that JP O'Claire was a huge influence on me. And I say that because he kind of took the same route and he was a really close friend. In fact, I dated him for a couple of years and he had this huge influence on me and my life and how I, how I looked at skiing. And for me, skiing wasn't just one dimensional. It was like, you can do whatever you want on any given day. And that was really cool to me. Um, and then furthermore, I got into climbing and that kind of turned things into mountaineering and like my interest going that direction. So the more you're exposed to, the more you're interested, the more you learn, the more like possibilities there are. Right. Mm -hmm. For sure. So on the climbing front, are you, are you kind of looking at what's your relationship to climbing? I mean, are you climbing because that's helping you at, with a very practical skill set um, for ski mountaineering or are you climbing because you're into climbing now um i would say don't tell skiing this but climbing yeah. borderline rivals skiing for my favorite Whoa. sport I, yeah i love it uh so so much um 
I started climbing. I went to guide school in Alaska when I was 20 years old and basically got my harness and, you know, all these different like things for crevasse rescue. And I came home and one of my friends was like, oh, all you need is a chalk bag and shoes and we can go climbing. And I was like, okay, I'll go get those. And then my love affair with climbing started happening and I got really excited about it. It was just really fun. I had like a couple of epic moments when I was early on, like learning how to climb that could have broke me or like made me psyched on climbing. And they definitely, I was like, Ooh, I'm super into this. I like love this actually. And, uh, so then my climbing partner moved to China for five years and I kind of like didn't know who to reach out to, to go climbing with. And then at a really, well, he became like a little brother. He moved into my house and started renting my house and he became my climbing partner and he was really good. And then later on, Emily Harrington moved to Tahoe and, uh, she and I just clicked really, really well as friends. She is definitely one of my closest, closest friends. And through her, I've even gotten more exposed to climbing and I get really psyched watching her, you know, project something and I'll go belay her any day. Like, I get attached to my friends' dreams pretty heavily. <laughs> but yeah, it's become something that I just love to do in the summertime and explore the places that I go in the wintertime. Like in the Sierras in particular, there's so many lines this year that I got to ski that have also climbed, like classic climbs and classic ski descents. And that is just, um, it's another way to be outside in the mountains. And I think it helps me mentally um, with like, you know, when you're leading trad climbing you it's pretty mental part of that and that mental aspect I'm really fascinated in the mind and how it works and that mental side of climbing I think has helped me with skiing in a big way and feeling comfortable and confident in the mountains so I think they they complement each other really well and um yeah I just love the feeling of movement on the rock and using your entire body to ascend a mountain I think that is so cool hmm. wow well done. Well said. Um, I want to ask you about um, these safe as clinics. Um, can you talk to me a bit about what your involvement has been with that? Um, and I don't know, right? I mean, these things that strikes me can probably ebb and flow a bit. Um, but is that where are we these days with with safe as clinics? And, and if you don't mind, you know, what is it? Yeah, totally. So Safe As Clinics was started by myself, Ingrid Backstrom, Jackie Peso, Elise Sogstead, Sherry McConkie, Megan Michelson, the list goes on. We kind of were all having coffee one morning and it was after the Stevens Pass avalanche, which Megan and Elise were there. Elise survived the avalanche. Megan was not caught in it, I believe. She was above. Um, and we kind of started talking after that how we felt like there was a space to create something for women particularly. Um, both those girls had feelings that, you know, being a female in the mountains, you know, women and men communicate differently. We operate differently. And, and I think all of us together collectively started talking about these experiences where we're like, man, we wish we had the guts to speak up or we wish we were received in a different way. Or like, Hey, remember that time you took your avalanche level one course and you were the only girl or one of three girls like that environment didn't seem as safe as something that we could create. And we wanted to give these women a platform to go and feel confident to meet other mountain partners that had the same level of, as, of education as them to be able to be a part of that group dynamic in a really positive way and to also influence them to take their avalanche level one course. Um, avalanche safety is so, 
so important in what we do, as you know. And I think that the gear is getting really good and the backcountry is becoming really accessible. But the knowledge yeah. that people, the people just haven't taken the time um, to, to gain that knowledge. And that's really imperative. And I think that we just wanted to be catalysts and use our name to get people more involved and to be like, hey, this is a real thing. This is super important. And you are your own rescue out there and you need to know what's up. And um, so this is, I believe we just did our fifth year. We've reached over 600 women in total. We've raised over $20,000 for different nonprofits. Most of the avalanche centers in the U.S. are nonprofits. Um, so that's been a huge success. And for like high fives, so, so nonprofits that are something that are in our lives that are affected in our lives. Um, high fives. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. They're based at Truckee. Um, yeah, they raise awareness and funds for people who have been affected by a life altering injury. So that could be spinal cord or traumatic brain injury. So that very much falls in line with us. And then, um, yeah, just like we've traveled around to Utah, to Colorado, to Washington and California and have tapped into this, this little, you know, teaching women how to, how to be safe in the mountains. And it's really, really a fun and gratifying thing that we do every year. We usually do like five to six clinics every year and they're one day clinics. And I think for us, it's something that is a passion project. We don't really profit too much off of it. We spend a lot of time and energy putting them together. You start out with yoga, then classroom time, then we cover lunch and your ski ticket. And then we go do companion rescue. And the feedback's been really, really special and at the end of the year every year i'm just like wow i think that we're making a difference and if we have even just saved one life like that's so worth it you know it's it's a really cool thing that we that we have going yeah and if people want to check that out they can go to it's safeasclinics.com i believe yep exactly yep. safe non-skiing stuff um so when you're not skiing not climbing, not simply setting up, you know, the logistics for your next mission or whatever. Um, what are you kind of thinking about most these days? Or what's, you know, I don't know, what new thing are you psyched on? Um, you know what I mean? When we, we set aside this stuff that, you know, well, you do for a living, um, what are those things? Um, what activities or is it books or movies or music? Um, what are you doing when you're not doing this stuff? Um, you well hit the nail on the head with books and music. I uh, when I was injured last year, I picked up the ukulele. It's actually pronounced ukulele properly. Um, <laughs> Good to know. Thank you. Ukulele. Yeah. Uh, I, I say that like people are like, "What instrument is that?" When I'm carrying it on, and I'm like, "It's an ukulele," and and I kind of feel like maybe not pretentious, but I don't know. I'm like, "Well, it's, yeah, ukulele, whatever." Uh, anyways, I picked that instrument up because it was easy to travel with and had four strings. And I figured with someone who has zero music background, that would be a great place to start. And that instrument was really healing for me throughout my injury. And I actually ended up investing in this beautiful ukulele that this company called Tide Music makes. And they are based in Tahoe here and they make like the most beautiful instruments. And um, I started taking lessons at their shop and I'm still really would love to take more lessons. But when I was injured, it was much more convenient. Um, but I can travel with that thing, play it at campfires. I have two original songs now that I'm all fired up on. I'm writing my third one. And I actually just had to play them yesterday in this interview. It was hilarious. They like sat me down, got this interview all squared away. And there's, they like put my ukulele next to me and they're like, okay, 
we'd like you to play your songs, please. And I was like, whoa, just like right on the spot. Okay, I got this. Um, so it's that's been really fun for me. I love doing that. Um, and then on top of that, I love photography. Photography has been something that I've been really passionate about my entire life, and I haven't really been able to explore it super deeply in recent years. But I'm like, man, I'm out there all the time with these incredible athletes in these beautiful locations. Like, I better be getting the shot. And I kind of have you know, resorted to the iPhone because it's become such an amazing tool to have in your pocket. It's small, it's light. You can, you know, the new iPhones with this portrait mode, it's like insane what they do. Um, but on this upcoming trip, I am going to grab like a really good camera from a friend who's a photographer. So the other day he was hanging out here. He's also a member of my, uh, pretend band. Um, and he, he was like, we were just talking and I was like, you know, the secret, like, fantasy of mine is to be a Nat Geo photographer. And hmm. he left Tahoe and he lives in Oregon. And then I'm driving through Oregon to go up on this volcano tour. And he called me the other day and he was like, you know, I'd really like to give you a camera that you can take up the volcanoes and like go capture these moments. And I'll give you handwritten notes on what to do. Like, I think that's really cool. And for me, that, that idea was so far fetched. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, and he like believes in me. And I was like, that's really cool. Like, um, so photography is definitely something that I'm really, really interested in. And actually it was funny cause yesterday I was working with Nat Geo here in Tahoe for the last two days. And I kind of slipped that in there too. I was like, you know, my secret fantasy. And they're like, Oh yeah, you should apply for a grant. You should like do that. Because for me, like this is something I've always um, been seeking to find balance with skiing. When I first started skiing and I was young, I was like, this feels so selfish. Like I'm traveling around the world on someone else's dime. I'm like, and I couldn't really come to terms with it. And I was like, I want to be doing something bigger. So all of a sudden I got to a certain age where I was like, okay, like if I can create like a, and this is like a weird thing, but if I can have a big enough following following and then use my following for something positive and good, then that's like totally worth it for me. And since then I've been like, okay, on the surface level, if I can influence people to go outside and to live healthy lifestyles and be closer to nature, then they're going to appreciate our planet, you know, way more. And then also if I can be a good influence for young women to show them that they can be athletic superstars and like totally rocket life and not worry about what they look like and their makeup and all that kind of stuff. then that's totally rad too. However, I will say that I love putting makeup on and like going out saying nice because that makes me feel more feminine and I'm always surrounded by guys. But yeah, if I can be a positive influence and that's a good thing. So I'm like super scatterbrained when it comes to these like philanthropic things that I like to do. But for example, like my dad has Parkinson's, so the Michael J. Fox Foundation has been a big um, place where I like to donate to. Or, you know, last year, Emily Harrington's mother was also diagnosed with Parkinson's a few years ago around the same time as, as my dad. So we did a big fundraiser for that. Um, what else? I don't know. Protect our winners. I'm involved with them. I love their mission statement. I love the education that they give me and that then I can pass on to the younger generation through their school program. Um, that's super cool to me. That's a positive thing. Furthermore, to get back to my point with National Geographic, that's a really conscious company. They're doing so many good things and raising so much awareness around the world for these different things. And, and I just really appreciate that. And I think that me being a female in these mountain situations, like, I don't know, Jimmy Chin and like those guys, I'm like, you guys are rocking it. Like you guys are athletes and you're out there with them and you're capturing the moment and you're reaching a really broad audience and, and teaching them about something that they might not have known before. And I think that's pretty inspirational. So 
being conscious and raising awareness for different things is definitely like a life mission. And, uh, I think through that Avenue would be like a really passionate way to go about that. So that's kind of (laughs) cool. Wow. Well done. Um, I love that that started with the ukulele. (laughs) That was amazing. We just went, that was a tour de force from ukulele to global consciousness and, and, and awareness. So, um, I think I need to pick up a ukulele. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll put me on trajectories like that. Um, uh, very well said and, and very interesting and, and, and really cool to hear about. Um, I mean, I, I didn't know we were going to end up talking about the Michael J. Fox foundation today, you know? Um, uh, and it's cool to hear. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I didn't know that you were, um, involved with protect our winters um and uh so that's good stuff um very good stuff and and it sounds like you're you are uh yeah still on a a good trajectory here um for the next decade 20 years 30 years from now um yeah that'll be uh fun to follow this i think Yeah, I think that, you know, I'm 30 years old now. I've been skiing professionally since I was 16 years old, which is a long run. And I don't see myself stopping anytime soon. But um, I think that, like I said about being passionate in life, like your your passions continue to grow. And when I was younger, I'd always be like, okay, what am I going to do after skiing? And and what's my plan? What's my like 10 year plan? And people ask you that all the time. And it kind of got stressful. I was like, I don't know, like 10 years, that's so far in the future. And I'm, I'm a really spontaneous person. And I think that one of the good things that I do is live very presently. And I try to live very presently, but I think that's also a downfall at times too, because I'm not making plans super far out. And, and it's hard for me to think of even a year out, you know, people are like, what are you doing next week? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, that depends on the weather. And, (laughs) and so it's hard to explain that to people sometimes when, when maybe they are not as in tune with what, uh, professional athlete is doing and especially one that's based purely on winter but because I live so spontaneously and like I think it's more like about passion driven yeah but I think that's directed my like now I'm like oh maybe there is a 10-year plan like maybe I can just start chipping away at this and then you know still continue to be in the mountains and do what I love to do and still be an athlete but also be an asset to the team out there in a different way and maybe maybe doors would open up in different avenues through different companies where I'd get to go on assignment to really cool locations and, and learn new things about that location and, and share that with the world. I don't know. I just think that's so cool. Yeah. What's your pretend band name? Oh my gosh. We don't even have oh, one. Oh no. I thought for sure. It, you have not thought about this? Um, you know, it's funny. I've written these two songs and I don't even know what the names are of my songs. And someone's like, what do you mean? You have to name your song. Yeah. Like, oh, that's a thing. Okay. I don't know what I'm doing musically. Like <laughs> I'm just learning, but it's so funny because it's like, oh yeah, I'm using, I'm playing the ukulele and I post like one Instagram video. And then next thing you know, I'm going on a shoot with specialized mountain bikes and they're like, Hey, like, here's the outline of the shoot. I'm getting briefed on it. And they're like, you're going to be riding bikes and climbing and running and doing all this stuff. And then there's going to be this acoustic ukulele track in the background. And I'm like, no way. I love the ukulele. 
and they're like, yeah, we're thinking you could write an original song. And I'm like, I can totally do that. And then I was, I got off the phone and I was like, oh my God, I just learned the ukulele like four months ago. And now I have to write a song. Hmm. So I called my instructor and I was like, Hey Chad, uh, do you think this is even possible? And he was like, I think you got it. And I totally wrote my first song and then got inspired. So I'm like a yes person. And sometimes it gets me into trouble. But with that one, it was a success. I was psyched. I was like, okay, I'm going to write songs now. I'm going to play the ukulele. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty disappointed that you don't have a name for your pretend band, though. I thought, so if I may, you know, put this at the top of the to-do list. Okay, yeah, I'm writing that down. Okay. Um, the band so far is myself and Chris Ben Shetler and our friend Aaron Blatt. <laughs> <laughs> And Aaron really carries the band. He's actually really good at playing the guitar. And Chris and I are pretty new, but we're getting better. We've had a few different band practices now, and we're, we're getting there. <laughs> so what's Chris playing? Chris plays the guitar. Okay. So you have two guitars in a ukulele? Yep, ukulele. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah, working on it. Um, that's pretty fantastic. Uh, okay. Well, I, I can't wait for the first album. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and can't wait to hear what the band name will be. Um, so we'll, we'll let you get going here. Um, it sounds like you've got to pack up bikes and ski gear and, uh, topo maps and a whole bunch of things here. Um, but you said you're, you're taking off. Is it today or tomorrow? Yeah, that's today. the goal. Today, yeah. yeah. But there's a big list of things that I need to do, Yeah, but I'll um, make it. You'll make it. Um, and this is the, we talked about a couple of different trips, but this is you're heading to bend. Yeah, I'm going to go to Bend and then basically just drive north. I'll make it all the way up to Vancouver. I'm going to have my bike, so potentially go to Squamish and Whistler and Pemberton to visit friends and then basically just come right back down and hit Shasta. Um, Greg Hill put the feelers out there for anyone on the team to go to Shasta, and I'm like kind of intimidated to be in the mountains with him because he's really fast, yeah. but I think I've got it in me. I've been training pretty hard, so I'm psyched. I'm just like really fired up to continue skiing. Oh, well – I guess I should say that the reason why I'm so psyched too is when we were in Alaska on the last trip, we flew past Denali like four times and um, I kind of got really obsessed. I took like a million photos and I was with Chris Davenport who has a ton of first descents there and he knows that mountain really well and I was talking to him and I was like, I got to do that and I landed in Talkeetna which is a little air airport or like the, it's not much of an airport but the place where you would go glacier camping from typically up in the Denali National Park. And I looked online and saw that Cody Townsend had gotten a permit for Denali. So I pretty much immediately started hounding him and was like, oh, my God, like you have to have a permit 60 days in advance of your trip date. And he was like, well, to be honest, I totally jumped on board with Ian McIntosh and Johnny Collinson. So you got to reach out to those guys. And they were like relatively unavailable. So a couple weeks went by where I was like in limbo, like put the feelers out there. I was like, hey, guys, can I jump on board with this trip? Totally felt like I was just like crashing the party. <laughs> And they were like, yeah, you totally can if we can get you a permit. And then our friend Shane Treat is kind of uh, helping out with logistics. And he was like, Michelle, I got you a permit. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to Denali. So the goal from now until then is to ski as much as possible and hike as much as possible and stay in shape. Wow. Um, okay, so Shasta with Greg Hill and Denali with Cody <laughs> and Ian and Johnny. This, is, this sounds not terrible. No, it's going to be awesome. I'm excited. Very cool. Very cool. Um, we didn't even talk about biking. You kind of threw that in at the very end. Oh, gosh, that's the other sport. See, I'm trying to, like, limit these things, but I, I love biking. That's, like, I okay, really Okay, but like you've it. already admitted that's, like, 
if it's it's in third place or if we are calling skiing and climbing though we're not telling skiing if those two are kind of tied for first well i guess that still puts biking in third but uh no that would be then biking's in second and it's a close it's almost tied <laughs> for first too <laughs> fair enough but um yeah that just came out of nowhere though so actually give me like a minute or two about i mean have you been have you been mountain biking for did you start forever ago? Is this a more recent pickup? Um, I did start a while ago, and I remember the relationship at first was pretty rocky, no pun intended, Dinner. but um, <laughs> I was like fearful of going out on my bike because I would always go with these people who are really good, and I would inevitably always eat it really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like things clicked a few years ago, and it's become just like – I live like my house. I basically can pedal on pavement for like less than a mile and be in this incredible network of trails. And, uh, and so, yeah, biking is so fun. It's like skiing to me. You're flying through trees and you're just like, Ooh, it's such a good rush. I love it. Um, yeah. So biking is, is something that I am also really passionate about. And you're, and how are we, um, you're spending time. It sounds like both on road and mountain bikes, What's that like? I mean, is, is, well, I won't, I won't say any more than that. What's your relationship to road biking versus mountain biking? Um, road biking is a new love for me. Um, when I was injured last year, I recovering was like the first thing I could do was swim. So I started a swim club, which was, <laughs> more <laughs> but yeah, we started open water swimming out of my friend's house. He lives down by the lake. And all of a sudden, it was like eight people would show up for swim meet at like 7 a.m. Oh. And uh, that became this great like cardio outlet for me because I just needed to move. And I'm a very kinesthetic person. Yeah. And so we got swim club going on. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, you can start road biking, but not mountain biking. So my friends let me borrow their road bikes for a while. And um, I started doing that. And then I was like, I'm going to turn into a triathlete here before <laughs> long but uh yeah actually two of my friends that joined swim team they ended up competing in an Ironman in North Carolina last year so that was really cool um and then I just got pretty fired up on road biking took a road bike to Hawaii and did a lot of my recovery there and just found it to be a great outlet for like getting into shape and uh and seeing places with a different eye I I really appreciate that and the road is really intimidating for me, so I seek out roads where there's no cell phone service. Um, but there's some pretty cool roads around Tahoe where, like, there's a lack of cars for sure. And uh, But mountain biking is my favorite thing ever. Um, <laughs> That's not it. true. You've already admitted that skiing yeah. and or climbing is. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's like when I talk about my best friends, I call, like, yeah, yeah. all my okay. best friends. Oh, best that's friends. a good analogy. Okay, that's yeah. a really good analogy. All right. And then, like, some people are like, you're only allowed one best yeah. friend. And I'm like, well, I can't choose. I just love them all. Um, so, yeah, I think those two sports are just another way to explore the mountains. And um, and it's very social and just super fun. And it's a great cardio workout, both of them. I love – yeah, biking is amazing. I'm psyched on it. I just got my first road bike, like, less than a month ago. Hmm. Nice. Um, my God, I'm. is there other stuff I should we should uncover here? other massive passions of other best friends of yours are you like i don't know uh, like like i just took up tennis and i think i'm gonna make you know the, the tour give me a year or two. Oh my gosh that's hilarious because my dad was a professional tennis player so i do like <laughs> tennis as well 
I'm like addicted to anything that involves using your body and being outside. And I think it's a healthy addiction, but I take it to maybe unhealthy levels when like my balance between work and play is pretty off balance sometimes. But, uh, you know, I'm here, I'm on the phone with you and I feel like I responded to your emails pretty well, right? You did. Okay. You did. So yeah, you, you managed, I don't have no idea now that having talked, I'm like, I don't know how you ever have time to reply to anything. So, uh, yeah, way to, way to stay on top of all of it. It's, Uh, it's a, it's an uphill battle sometimes. Like uh, when I get off the phone with you, I got to submit about 10 expense reports, but, um, (laughs) yeah, mm -hmm. I was thinking, I was talking to some friends last night and they're like, you should probably hire like an, an admin someone to help you like Mm -hmm. a ghostwriter who can like reply to your emails and just like set your calendar up. And I was like, I'd really like that actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that sounds good. Um, well, Hey, this has been really fun. I really appreciate, um, the time and the conversation. Um, and, uh, I gotta say, cause you got me thinking about the fact that you're going to go ski Shasta with Greg Hill. Um, if you think of it, I really want to talk to Greg. Um, the I'm a huge fan of the the Solomon Mountain Lab boot, um, and uh, Greg had a lot to do uh, with that boot. So um, you know, if if you guys are are bored on the on the long slog up Shasta, um, tell him uh, I'm I'm gonna be I might be getting in touch. I want to talk boots with him. Absolutely, I will. I will yell from him from the bottom of the mountain when I'm out of breath and he's summiting. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, that would be. Uh, I think that would be my my fear uh, about going quote unquote touring with with uh, with Greg. Be like, I'll see you in a day or two. It's kind of funny. Like it actually motivates me so much to stay fit. It was because I mm. tour with a lot of fast people, mm-hmm. and sometimes. Like this happened this year. One of them like was going on this huge mission in this year. It would have been a dream day for me. And and like I kind of got called off this day. And there was kind of some like indiscrepancy as to why that I got called off. But ultimately, I think it was because they didn't think I was fit enough. And it just like fueled my fire. I was like, oh, I am fit enough. And like to be honest, I'm like I'm I'm not gonna downplay that. Like I'm, I'm fit for sure. I hike all the time, but there's just really, there's like Greg Hill who's next level. So yeah. I'm like, I gotta be able to stay fit so that I can be in the mountains with those people and hold my own. I hate it when you're the last person, and I think that fear comes from mountain lions, not to like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but like when I'm biking, when I was learning how to bike, I'm like, mountain lions go for the weakest person, the person in the back, that person's gonna get taken out for sure and so like it just made me want to be faster (laughs) that's amazing uh so mountain lions yeah really i think i feel like we should credit your fear of mountain lions with a lot of your athletic success you know yeah i think that is totally legitimate wow i did not see that coming so thanks (laughs) thanks Thanks for throwing that one in. So you're worried about Shasta. One, there's the pressure of trying to keep up with Greg Hill. And two, there might be mountain lions. You never know. I've never seen one in real life, but you never know. (laughs) I'd make fun of you more about this, except that this is how I feel about sharks. Oh, yeah. Do you ever get into like a big swimming pool and you're like, I should not be saying this out loud right now, but you're like... You know, these irrational fears of like, you never know what's lurking in that water. 
Um, and this is, yeah. So I think your mountain lions are my sharks. I guess we all have our things. Yeah. I don't even know how, where we go from there, but, uh, other than maybe it's clear signal we should end this conversation. I mean, I feel awake now. I just finished my cup of coffee. I'm like, we're just getting started. Um, well, I think given that we've covered, we've gone from ukuleles to mountain lions i think our work here is done yeah Uh, and everything in between and everything in between um but michelle seriously this was really fun and um i god i wish you well on all the near-term stuff and all the long-term stuff and uh yeah um your favorite or preferred place for people to if they want to be following along with what you're up to they can find you where on the gram on the oh. instagram i think oh, that's yeah. the best place the most relevant place for me um and my handle is at m y s h e l l parker p-a-r-k-e-r so my shell it's not how i spell my name but michelle was taken <laughs> my shell parker um yeah. so great um people can find you there um and uh again um good luck to you with all of this stuff and um we'll be paying attention and um Man, we're gonna we have like thirty seven other lines of conversations to follow. So at some point we will you know we'll we'll try to do another follow up. And assuming the mountain lines mountain lines don't get you on Shasta, um, we'll uh, we'll check back in. Well, thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Jonathan. It was great to catch up. All right, take care. Okay, bye. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Michelle Parker for the conversation. To our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob, who I was recently again reminded, looks even more strikingly handsome when decked out head to toe in a navy blue polyester uniform. Till next time, see what we're up to on the site at blisterreview.com, leave us some feedback in iTunes if you like what you're hearing here, and we will talk to you next week.